Would you turn in your Bible, please, to Joshua, the 24th chapter. Joshua 24. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for this wonderful song that has thrilled our heart and again reminded us that we would rather have Jesus than anything. Thank you for the choir song, for all these great hymns this morning, for the impact of believers meeting together. We pray now that thou wilt touch those who listen by radio who would like to be in God's house but cannot because of physical difficulties and draw them close to your heart. And everyone within the circle and sphere and influence of this service today, here in the auditorium, may those who are without Christ be touched by the Holy Spirit. May they be convicted of their lostness, of the awful sin of unbelief. May they come trusting the blood of Jesus, appropriating that blood by faith as a covering for sin. Guide us, O thou great Jehovah, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. In Joshua chapter 24, we read verse 1, and then go to verse 14 through the 25th verse. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. In verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is who brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people even the Amorites who dwell in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he hath done you good. The people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves, that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore, put away, said he, the foreign gods which are among you. Incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. There were three very important cities to the people of Israel in those days, the days 
of the occupation, the days of coming out of Egypt at the close of the wilderness wanderings as the people of the Lord were led by the Holy Spirit and by Joshua to cross the Jordan River and to go into that land of Canaan and conquer it. Three important cities, Shiloh and Shechem and Samaria. Shiloh was the place of the sanctuary. It was the place of the meeting of the people with God during those days of the occupation. The Ark of the Covenant was placed there. And following the time of the tabernacle in the wilderness, when they came into the land of Canaan, before they were able to build the, ta- the temple, which later was built and constructed at Jerusalem, Shiloh was the place nine miles north of Bethel, east of the main road that led, led down to Jerusalem. There at Shiloh was the place of the meeting with God. Again and again, they would go back to Shiloh. Samaria was another important city to the people of God at that time. And it was here that there was a great departure from the Lord. Seven centuries later, this was referred to by one of the prophets as he reminded them that it was at Samaria that the people of God forsook the Lord of their fathers. And the third city was the city of Shechem. Now the city of Shechem is in a valley, and this city is right at the edge of the valley, and on each side, you might say, of that city and of the valley were two great mountains. One was called Mount Gerizim, the other is Mount Ebal. If you should go to that place today, you would find those same mountains. One is called the Mount of Cursing. The other is called the Mount of Blessing. Interestingly enough, the Mount of Cursing is barren. The Mount of Blessing has beautiful trees growing on it. When we were there, our guide said the reason that Mount Gerizim is is so barren is because God cursed it because of the cursing of the people. And the reason the other mountain, Mount Ebal, has vegetation and trees and, and foliage growing on it is because of the blessings of the people. And here's the way they would do it. The valley of Shechem and the valley that stood, was right down in the, between those two mountains, formed almost a perfect amphitheater. And the acoustics were perfect. And a person could stand with the law of God in that valley at Shechem and call over to that mountain and there would be a great reverberation and his voice would come back to him. He could call over to that mountain and same thing. So there came a time in Joshua's ministry after they had occupied the land of Canaan that he brought the, the people of God down to Shechem and he put six of the tribes over on Mount Ebal and six over on Mount Gerizim. And then he read the Moses law, the Mosaic law, all the tables of the law of God. And he caused them to stand while the law was being read. And he read the blessings 
And when he read the blessings, the people at Mount Ebal would say, Amen and Amen. And as he read the cursings, the six tribes who stood on Mount Gerizim would say, Amen and Amen. And Joshua said, This word is a witness against you. You know the blessings if you keep the law, and you know the cursings if you delete the law of God. Now, go forward in his name. We've come now to the end of the ministry of Joshua. He's an old man. Please keep in mind that Joshua was 40 years old when they left Egypt. He was 80 years old when he began his life's work in conquering the land of Canaan. And now many believe he was 120 years old when we come to the 24th chapter of Joshua. Some have called this the valedictoria, the farewell message to Israel. And in this message, he reminds the people of all of the happenings in their past and how God had led them out of the captivity of Egypt through the danger of the wilderness wanderings and had led them beyond to cross the Jordan River on dry land and into the land of Canaan where there were Hittites and Perizzites and the Amorites and all of the others. And God had given the people of God victory in the face of tremendous odds against the people of God. God had fought the battles. There was not one battle where the people of the Lord had to overcome the enemy by physical strength. Instead, the Lord sent the spiritual shadow of their influence ahead of them, and the people fled before them. So that the people could say the battle went to the Lord. The battle was the Lord's. The people could not get any glory for obtaining victory in the conquering of Canaan. And so Joshua reminds them of all of this. At the end, he says, Now, I have a choice for you to make. Fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river. He refers to the river Euphrates and the Tigris River because before God called Abraham out of the land of Ur, their forefathers were pagans. They served sticks and stones. And when God called Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees, he left his gods behind him, and he served the Lord God. Joshua said, now you, you got to decide whether you're going backward, whether you're going to serve the gods on the other side of the Euphrates River, over in Ur, in Samaria, or are you going back and serve the gods in Egypt, the Egyptians, with all of their paganism and all of their pyramids, and all of their worship of the body, and all of their worship of the animals. Then he says, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, and those are the gods of the land of Canaan. The gods of the Amorites were gods of immor immor immorality, gods of lewdness, when the people of the Lord came into the land of Canaan, they found there a strange type of worship of sex <clears throat> and impurity and immorality. 
and the land of the Hittites and the Amorites and the Ammonites was filled with homosexuality and all kinds of lewdness. And there were temples erected and they had male and female priests and prophets and, and priestesses and they were all prostitutes and they did it in the name of their gods. And Joshua said, if you want to serve that kind of God, you've got to decide whether you're going to serve the gods who were on the other side of the Euphrates, the pagans, or the gods down in Egypt, the gods of flesh, or the gods of sex in the land of Canaan, or are you going to serve the Lord God? As for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve Jehovah. We will serve Yahweh. We will serve the Lord. And notice what the people answered. They said, why, Joshua? God forbid that we should serve anybody but the Lord, to serve other gods. For the Lord is the one who brought us up out of the land of Egypt and so on. And he drove out before us all the people, the Amorites and so on. And Joshua said, you cannot serve the Lord God. You cannot do it. For the Lord God is holy. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. In other words, if you elect to serve him, and then you hang on to the old things, the old ways. You try to hang on to God with one hand and the other things with one hand. God says that will make me sick. You cannot serve God like that. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he hath done you good. The people said to Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen the Lord to serve him. Now in this passage, very briefly this morning, I want us to see four words that are emphasized. Four words. Choose is the first word. Choose you this day whom you will serve. We have choices to be made. We often find ourselves in dilemmas. We do not know whether to choose this thing or that thing, whether to go this way or that way. How do we decide what to do in life? In the city of Bowling Green and Warren County, we're facing elections in the next few weeks. How do we decide whether to vote for this candidate for jailer or this candidate for sheriff or this candidate for councilman? How do we decide? Well, I want to make some suggestions. Joshua would say, find out which one of them is on the Lord's team and vote for that. Find out where the man stands. We have some of our young men who go to the jail every Sunday. Sometimes it gets difficult. I've even heard rumors that there are some who want to outlaw all the ministries in the jail and not permit the ministers and not permit the preachers and not permit these young men to go up there. And so I talked to some of the jailers to find out how they felt. And I know at least one jailer, one man who is a candidate, though he is not all that I wish he were, and I've talked with him many times about giving his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if he's elected, he wants to give more opportunity for the men of God to deal with those who are in jail. He wants to arrange a room there at the jail so that 
a preacher can have time, a quiet time alone with one of them, if need be. This is the kind of thing we need to discover. And in the sheriff's race, one of the men who is running for a race to be sheriff in this county told me this last week, and he's a Christian, and we need him to find out where these men stand as far as their faith in the Lord Jesus. And where do they stand on the liquor question? Where do they stand on alcohol and drugs and dope and crime and sin? He said, three people have come to me just recently and offered me hundreds of dollars if I would withdraw from the race. This particular individual said, I've made it open knowledge that if I'm elected sheriff, I will not accept any payoffs for bootleggers. I will not accept any payoffs for people to allow them to drive their cars through dry territory to take liquor from Bowling Green to the dry counties. <clears throat> he said this last week, a police car drove up to my place. And two policemen came in and took me in a back room and offered me $2,000 if I would withdraw from the race. I'm saying to you we need to find out matters like this. Find out where these men stand. I said, are you for sale? He said, no. I said, even if you lose, stay in there. Stick to it. Choose you. How are you going to make a decision? We as God's people need to decide on the basis of spiritual values who we'll vote for, where we'll stand. I respect some of the people over on Smith Drive. Until just recently, that was a lovely residential area, and the 31W bypass was a wonderful area down there. Still is, I think. Some nice restaurants. Some of those restaurants are trying to put beer and whiskey and gin and booze in. And there's a group on Smith Drive who have a petition, and they're opposed to that liquor. They've gotten all the people on Smith Drive to sign a petition. And on Wednesday at 1.30 in Frankfurt, there will be a hearing. Somebody who is supposed to be a church member is running a restaurant over there, and he wants to put in liquor. And the people on Smith Drive, some of them who are not Christians, have had to sign petitions against that. We live in a strange world, don't we? Mixed-up world. And I want to submit to you, we need to take our stand Choose you whom you will serve. If you're going to serve God, get on His side. Stand with Him. And don't stand just because it's a popular thing. or Don't give up just because your stand is unpopular or you get criticized for it. I think God's people need to know who the judges are and where the judges stand. And whether they will convict criminals or not, and so on. We need to find out about these matters and take strong stands. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Concerning the city commissioners and councilmen and so on, we need to find out godly men who are not for sale, who will take a strong stand for the things that are right and vote for that man, even if you just vote for one of them. Vote for somebody you know will take a strong stand. I believe this is what the Scripture would have us to say, do. Joshua said, 
Where are you going to stand, Israel? Choose you this day whom you will serve. How are you going to know which way to go? How are you going to know what kind of convictions to have in your life? How will you, go, how will you know what is right and what is wrong? In Jeremiah 6, 16, Thus saith the Lord, Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk in it, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. God tells us. A lot of times we say, No, I don't want to do what God tells me to do. But each of us has to choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. The second thing, the second word I want to underscore in this passage is the word gods. That word appears several times. It's in verse 14. Put away the gods which your fathers served. Will you serve the gods of the Amorites, the gods on the other side of the river, and so on? What are the gods? A god is anyone who gets your allegiance, your supreme allegiance. Sometimes money is our god. I've got to have the dollar bill regardless. It doesn't make any difference whether, how I get it. I've got to have it. Moral or immoral, I've got to have the dollar bill. I talked to a man one day about a job he had. It was an immoral job. He said, well, I've got to get the dollar. I've got to have it. So that, God has, that dollar has become his God. It's easy for money to become your God. If you want to know how easy it is, you just hold some little coin in your hand. I have a quarter. And I hold that quarter out here. I can see it in proper perspective. I can see it in its relationship to people, in relationship to the church. And I can see it how it could be used to help build the church, how it could be used to help send buses out, how it could be used to send missionaries out, how it could be used to help pay the light bills. I can see the quarter in proper perspective. But then I get it closer to me. And pretty soon I can't see so much the other things. I just see this quarter. And then I get it closer and closer. And after a while, if I close this eye, and I just hold that quarter right there. I can't see anything over here. All I see is this quarter. It has become my God. And ladies and gentlemen, all too often, people have allowed things to become their gods. They've allowed money. They've allowed position, their jobs. People have allowed their children. They've allowed their wives, their husband to become their God. They've allowed pleasure. I think in many instances, teenagers and young people today are tempted to allow pleasure and popularity to become their God. I, I've talked with some people and say, well, now, why do you do this thing? Why do you do this thing? Oh, they say, everybody does it. Everybody does it. Well, does that make it right? Well, I don't know whether it's right or not, but everybody does it. And so the popular opinions of other people has be, have become a God to that individual. Sometimes I'll say, well, to a, one day I was talking to a wonderful, godly, at least I thought a godly girl, who was going with a boy who drank, who had kind of reputation of loose living. And I said to that girl, I was not trying to insult her, and I didn't tell her the boy was no good, because I'm sure she saw something in him that was very good or she wouldn't have gone with him. I said, tell me, did God give you permission to go with that boy? Oh, he, she said, I don't know. I didn't pray about it. She said, I love him. But I said, is he God's will for your life? Not a matter of whether he's a fine boy or not. Not a matter of whether you love him or not. The question is, 
What does God want you to do about this thing? Has this boy become your God in your life? So many times, instead of choosing the Lord, we will choose the gods, whether they're the gods on the other side of the river or the gods of the land in which we dwell. We serve the gods of our past, the gods of our peers, instead of the Lord God. Where do you stand as far as your God is concerned? Who is your God? I think that's what Joshua is asking. Who is your God? You've got to decide who you're going to, you've got to choose who you're going to serve. And in order to choose who you're going to serve, you're going to have to choose who's going to be your God. Whether it will be Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord God, the God of the Bible, who has convictions and principles that we live by, or the gods of pleasure, of sex, of money, of jobs, of home, and so on. There's a third word that I want us to emphasize. That's the word house. Joshua said, as for me and my house, what kind of a house do you have? I don't mean, did it cost $6,000 or $60,000? What kind of house do you have? I don't mean, is it a little hut or is it an apartment or is it a great big mansion? I want to know, do you have a home or do you just have a house? So many times people today have houses where they hang their hats. They go in for a fuel station, sort of like a filling station. They go in and fill up. That's about it. That's the only time they're there. They go in and fill up or they go in and take a nap at night. They're not hardly there long enough to do anything more than that. Is that what your house is? I think the Scripture gives us some inferences as to how to have a happy home. And I will say I... I say these things to you uh, not so much from experience as from observation, many years of observation from what the Word of God says. And I want to give you ten commandments for a happy home. Listen to this. Number one, thou shalt love one another. If you want to have a home that will honor Jesus Christ, thou shalt love one another. There are three kinds of love, eros, phileo, and agape. Eros is physical infatuation. Phileo is fellowship kind of love, and agape is God's kind of love. It takes all three to have a home, not just a house. Anybody can shack up with eros. Anybody can have the kind of uh, home where you can endure each other for a little while by just fellowship. But if you want a home that will endure and a home that will be godly, you need to have the physical attraction and the fellowship kind of love where you enjoy doing things together plus the ingredient of God's love, agape, which which is like the, the glue that sticks things together. It's like the concrete and the mortar that holds the bricks and the blocks together. That's the agape of God, God's love. Secondly, thou shalt trust one another. Outlaw suspicion. Be careful not to stir up suspicions. I heard of a man who said to a woman, just in fun, I saw your husband out the other night he didn't mean anything but he planted a whole big doubt in that woman's heart I will tell you that's that's ungodly suspicion should be outlawed in a home if you're going to have a home that will honor Jesus thou shalt trust one another number three thou shalt
It takes a lot of giving and a lot of taking in a home to make it a godly home. I'd suggest, and I have often to young couples getting married, that they ought to have a competition. They ought to have a contest, maybe keep records as to who can give the most and who can take the most. And it's a matter of the husband giving 150% and the wife giving 150% and the wife taking 150% and the husband taking 150%. If you have a couple like that, they'll stay together. And as Paul Harvey says, they'll observe 73 years or 76 years. He always is finding somebody who has been together a long, long time. That's the standard. And I believe it works. Number four, thou shalt pull together. If mortar is properly mixed and properly applied, it will hold things together. It will not separate them. Same thing in a husband-wife relationship, thou shalt pull together. We used to have a team down on the farm years ago when I was a boy. Jake and John, their names. They were two old mules. Now, those mules didn't know how to pull together. Jake go this way and John go that way. I don't know why they called them Jake and John. I had two uncles. One was named Uncle John, Uncle Will. The other was Uncle Will. I guess they named Uncle the, John, the John mule after Uncle John. He was always going the wrong way. But anyway, they'd all pull the wrong way, pull apart from each other. And you know, that's a picture of some homes. Uh, the wife goes one way, the husband goes another way, and instead of pulling together, they pull apart. Thou shalt pull together. Pull together. Go forward together. Number five, thou shalt confine intimacies to one another. The holy of holies in the home is not for anybody else to view. And when God gives a man a wife and the wife a man, a husband, God's plan is for them to confine intimacies to one another. I think one of the greatest tragedies of our day occurs in the factories where a wife will take a coffee break and share her problems and troubles with some other man. Or a man takes a coffee break and shares his problems and troubles from his home with some other woman. The problems and troubles in your home are nobody's business but yours and God's and your wife's or husband. They're not anybody else's business. If you have to talk over with somebody, find some godly counselor where you can go and behind closed doors open your heart before the Lord. But it isn't God's will for you to go and share all the hurts and heartaches and the problems and the burdens and the, the intimacies of your home out at some coffee break with some other stranger. That isn't God's will. No wonder there's so many homes tearing apart. Sixthly, thou shalt have a sense of humor. There's so many tragedies that can come in the married life. The only way they can endure is for a couple to have a sense of humor. Number seven, thou shalt not criticize one another. Number eight, thou shalt not expect too much from one another. You'll find after you get married that the woman who was a queen is really just a woman after all. And the husband that you thought was some prince charming is really nothing more than a mortal man. He has a lot of problems and a lot of difficulties and a lot of, a lot of hang-ups. So don't expect too much of each other. Number nine, thou shalt keep up courtship after marriage. And number ten, thou shalt have the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of your home. What kind of home do you have? What kind of house do you have? Is the father king, the mother queen, the children are subjects? The last word I want you to notice is the word Lord. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The word Lord means director, boss. 
It means the sovereign, the one altogether important. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the word Lord here in the text stands for the personal pronoun, the personal word for the God of Israel, Jehovah, Yahweh. He was a personal God. Joshua said, the Lord in our home is not just the big buddy upstairs or the man upstairs. It's not just good Lord. You ever heard that? The Lord in our home is not just, well, good God. No, no. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve Jehovah. And there was a personal name for God. In other words, it implied a personal relationship. He said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve Yahweh, Jehovah. And today, we would say, we will serve Jesus. Because Jesus is the New Testament fulfillment of the Old Testament Jehovah concept. Jesus is the Lord God who came to earth and died on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose again, and he's alive forevermore. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We love him, and we're going to serve him. Well, there are choices to be made, and we have to make those choices. Joshua said, you have to do it today. Today, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether it shall be the gods of your past or the gods of the present or the gods of the future or whether it shall be the Lord God, Jesus, Jehovah. Who will you serve? The Bible tells us that Jesus shed his blood on the cross for our sins, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus went to the cross. He took my place, your place, in his own body, and he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And when we trust him, he forgives us and saves us. May we pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. With our heads bowed and eyes closed in God's presence, who will you serve today? There may be somebody here today who has never said yes to Jesus. You've not intended to say no to him, but you've just never said yes to him. You've never chosen to serve him. I want to ask you this morning, if you would, with all your heart, choose Jesus. Yield your life to him to be your king. Our Father in heaven, we pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would touch the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. May someone who has never trusted Christ as Savior come to trust Jesus today and others who have already been saved become active servants of God. Have thy way in Christ's name, amen. May we stand, please. <clears throat> in a moment, we're going to sing God's invitation. Remember, this is the invitation of the Lord. It's not mine it isn't even the church's it's the lord's invitation and i will ask you this morning if you will serve the lord you may be here and you're not sure whether your name is written in heaven or not you're not really positive if you're saved let me urge you to come to christ and trust him as your personal savior and lord and say by coming if i've never before been saved i want to invite jesus into my heart i want him to be my lord and my savior would you do that? If you're already a Christian, your membership is in some of the church and God wants you here at Glendale, 
Let me urge you to come today. Don't put it off. Don't delay. Don't wait till some other convenient season. Just come today. Take a stand for the Lord. Do what he wants you to do. While we begin to sing, who will step out first for the King, Christ Jesus? Will you come quickly?